Ah, hello there, Star Trek fans, podcast fans, and those who are fans of the spookiest season of the year, and I'm not talking about tax time. Welcome back to the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast. Uh, if you have been following our socials, or you can read, you will see that today we're looking at the Deep Space Nine episode, Little Green Men, uh, quite an appropriate sort of... Uh, I guess spooky-ish themed episode, the whole alien abduction type thing, uh, because this is also doubling as our Halloween special, since as you're listening to it, it will be one day before Halloween. So we will also be getting into that, talking about uh, some of the things that might uh, scare us in Star Trek, and we're not just talking about bad plots like Threshold. Uh, <laughs> that's two terrible <laughs> jokes in five minutes. I'm Mike. I am the awful host who does bad puns, uh, but I am not alone. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, DK. Hello there. Uh, and we are joined by a very special guest, a uh, first-time guest, so uh, be gentle. Uh, we are joined by the Cardassian queen herself, Lady Vian, all the way from the United States. Hello, welcome. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. No problem at all. Thanks for being a, a bright presence on, on sort of Twitter in general and agreeing to come and talk to us about Trek favourites. Because uh, No, I've been excited to do it. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so if you are new to the podcast, uh, we tend to break this down into little sections. Uh, we have like a little chat. We do a, what I call the hit or miss section, which gives the podcast its name, where we just throw up things. And I ask uh, my co-host and guest if they think it's a hit or a miss, but they won't know what it is beforehand. So they'll hopefully be caught off guard and a little bit honest, and then we can debate back and forth. Uh, this week, in, in honor of Halloween, we're taking a break from time travel themed things and doing, like I said, scary things in Star Trek in the hit or miss section. Uh, but before that, and before we get to the episode review proper, we always like to start out with a chat to our guests, particularly first time guests. Uh, and being a Star Trek podcast, we are very nerdy and I have called this Healing Frequencies Open. Uh, Healing Frequencies Open, sir. <laughs> so, Vianne, welcome. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. Thanks. I'm, I'm sorry. If I sound a little raspy, my allergies are playing up. But uh, oh, other man. than that, doing good. That's fair enough. Awesome. Uh, well, yeah, um, uh, we are um, very excited to talk to you about all things Star Trek. So apologies if it seems a little bit like an interrogation, but I just do have a few questions, if you don't mind, about like what got you into it, because we are always kind of interested in that. Um, and so kind of the first thing on my list is literally that. What was it that first got you interested in Star Trek? And can you remember the first episode that grabbed you and made you think sort of, oh, I want to watch more of this? Oh, yeah. So first of all, um, as the Cardassian queen, I have to tell you, I 100% approve of interrogation. So, you know, feel free. Um, <laughs> tell me the defense plans for Minos Kova, Vian. That's all I ask. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my first Star Trek is kind of interesting. I have always wondered how I got into Star Trek, because when I talk to people about it, so many people, oh, I watched it with my dad. I watched it with my siblings, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I started watching Next Gen when I was three years old of my own volition, apparently. Um, yeah, because my parents were not Trekkies. My older siblings were not. Um, nobody else was watching it. And uh, I used to sit on the floor in my parents' bedroom in front of their waterbed and watch it on their little TV. And I think there is actually camera footage somewhere. In my mother's attic on a VHS of uh, my my brother and sister arguing, and I'm in the background just sitting there transfixed. Um, <laughs> you know, with, at next gen, not not at them fighting, but um, yeah. so that's fair enough. Yeah, no explanation. They don't know why. I don't know why. And it was so much so 
I don't remember the first episode, but I remember mm. being in kindergarten and they put on Reading Rainbow and I was like, it's Jordy. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, so I know I've been watching since before I could read. I mean, that's fair enough. You know, yeah, under- yeah. Understandable. I had a similar but much more embarrassing experience when my mother first showed me Roots. And I was like, that's mm. not Kunta Kinte, that's Jordi LaForge. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where's his visor? But yeah, anyway. <laughs> so um, apologies if this is a little bit of an on-the-spot question, but we do ask all our first-time guests, if you had to pick three episodes or movies uh, to show someone that hasn't sort of got familiarity with the franchise that you think represents the very best of Trek, uh, what would you pick for your three? Uh, definitely Blink of an Eye from Voyager. Wow, that is an unorthodox uh, choice. Interesting. Um, I think... Treachery Faith and the Great River from Deep Space Nine. Wow, another one that shocked me a little. Awesome. <laughs> and, oh, God. Um, this is going to be an unpopular choice, but I would go with Generations. Okay, cool. I, I don't mind Generations. That's a, it's a fine movie. Yeah, awesome. Uh, it's oh, actually what, what, my favorite Star Trek movie. Wow, again, hot take, but mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I, I know I'm the only one that feels that way. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm a basic uh, sort of Star Trek 2 slash first contact yeah. fan. Classic <laughs> mm-hmm. fan every time. Yep. Although yep. I did see Generations, I think, weirdly enough, seven times at the cinema. Yeah, wow. that was back when we still had 99 cent theaters and you could go over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. See, I never even saw it at the cinema because I'm too young. So. <laughs> He said oh my god! Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for that, Mike. <laughs> I'm still forty. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm that young, but yeah. So, um, what what sort of uh, reasons did you uh, have for picking those three then, Vianne, to try to sell track to people? <laughs> well, I think um, generations just gives you this really. Oh God, how do I want to say this? It introduces so many of the tropes that we're familiar with. Uh, You know, Star Trek began so many of the tropes that we see in everything now. And I think Generations is a really good example of a lot of those tropes. Uh, And it introduces you to some really great characters from both uh, Next Gen and the original series. So I think it's it's a good foundation piece for what Star Trek is and what it's kind of about. Awesome. Cool. Um, What about the two episodes? (laughs) Uh, I just think... Blink of an eye—it's—it's what Star Trek does best, in my opinion. It's sciency. It's sciency a word. It is now. Um, It is. (laughs) Yeah, I I think it's just a brilliant episode, and I think it has a lot of hope in it. And I think, as a a work of science fiction, it's a really cool concept. and I think it really highlights a lot of the things that Star Trek does best. Awesome. I think that Deep Space Nine's strength is its recurring side character actors. Oh, I think yeah. it really had some of the strongest actors in the entire franchise were, you know, your Andy Robinson and Chase Masterson mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, Jeff and uh, Mark Limo, you know. Uh, uh, Aaron, Aaron Eisenberg is so wonderful in that episode. And I think that that's a really overlooked um, Mm. B-plot that people don't talk about. Because when we talk about that episode, everybody's talking about Wayne 6 and Odo, which is, you know, this really fascinating dynamic. 
But I think the performances all around are just stellar in that episode. And I think it really um, gives a lot of those recurring side actors a chance to shine. Yeah. Um, regrettably, I don't think Garrick is in that one, but um, mm, I think that that's, cool, that's no, but I think in terms of character development, uh, it's some of the best of Star Trek. Awesome. And that's, I, I mean, that's you know what? I, sorry, I'm going to add this. It's not just character development. It's also world building because we start to get into the um, religious aspects and aspects of faith of multiple species in that episode mm -hmm. and how different they are from, you know, what exists in humanity. Yeah. And there's a little bit, I'm sure we'll mention, um, of the sort of Ferengi religious, if you can call it that, beliefs that comes up in Little Green Men even, which is kind of interesting. Um, yeah. But yeah, awesome. And yeah, character, I think, is a, tr a strength of Star Trek. And we've said it many times on the podcast, but it's always worth reiterating that I think we all miss uh, Rene and Aaron, um, Odo and Nog, because they were just such great characters. And like, even oh, if I, I watch know. an episode that I don't love of DS9, I'm like, oh, they were so good, man. <laughs> it's such a loss <laughs> that we don't have them still with yeah. us. But, uh, yeah, Odo and Nog, two of my favorite characters generally, I think. And uh, yeah, okay, cool. Um, so yeah, this is the big question. And again, sorry to put you on the spot. Uh, what is your favorite series overall of all the Trek series? Oh man, so that's tough. And I think, oh God, okay. So I have to say Voyager because nice. um, I grew up in an abusive household and I was a teenager when Voyager was on. And I've said this on other uh, interviews I've done, but, you know, for one hour a week, I got to go on a journey, you know, because this was before streaming, you know, this was before repeat. They didn't even repeat it in the summer. So it was only like really for, you know, eight months of the year, you know, one, one hour a week, I got to go on this journey and uh, get away and be lost in the Delta Quadrant with these people who all really cared about each other and um that was a really beautiful thing so as much as i love deep space nine now uh and my cardassians i think voyager will always be my number one for that reason i'm, I'm glad to hear you say that and a little bit emotional because i have a similar relationship with voyager in that anytime it's criticized it was a really tough time in my life for similar and different reasons to yours and it's right. just i really appreciated that sense of family that was there yeah. throughout the sort of the, the crew and stuff and that's those were my favorite kind of comfort blanket treks i guess because you always felt like you know it's it's a cliche but i've mentioned before that there's a, um a star trek 30 years and beyond uh, sort of celebration video that I used to have, which you now can't get because it was only ever on VHS. And mm -hmm. um, they had various kind of celebrity guests talking about what Trek means to them. And I think it was Ben Stiller who got up and was like, yeah, we appreciated all of the cool science and the gadgets and stuff. But mostly when we didn't have any friends at school, we could come in, sit down and know that we could hang out with Kirk and Spock and Scotty and they were our friends. And it's kind of it's kind of sad, but it's also kind of true. So I yeah, think no, I get is my it. Totally. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, right. So uh, there's just a few more questions that I have down here. Um, and again, the next one might be a challenge, but if you could, could you possibly name three favorite characters that you think represent Vian the best out of all of the Trek series? Oh, you mean the three that I think like I personally identify with the most? Yes. Your absolute favorite that you think um, just either you recognize something in or that you just like something about or... 
any reason. Well, <laughs> I would say that I personally am some unholy combination of Garrick, Seven of Nine, and Q. That's not unholy. That sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you say that now, but wait till you know me better. Um, fun if a tad immoral, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's probably more accurate. Well, I would say they are they're more morally ambiguous, you know, yeah. and um, mm. yeah, open but, to interpretation. Yeah, and kind of polarizing, I think. So mm, that sounds yeah. like me. Yeah, I can understand that as well. That's uh, that's logical. <laughs> it's, okay, Spock. <laughs> so yeah, a couple of more questions. First of all, with this being our kind of time travel themed series. Uh, when it's not a Halloween episode, um, do you have any favorite time travel stories in the franchise that you would particularly put up uh, as, as the best? Oh, well, I mean, I already said blink of an eye, which I kind of think yeah. falls under time travel. Um, oh, definitely, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, Future's End is ridiculous yes. and fun. And, um, you know, who doesn't love trials and tribulations? I mean, you know. Uh, yes. Of course, yeah. Uh, I'm glad you said the, the greatest time travel episode of all time. So I think one those, of those ones, yeah. Brilliant. Um, well, we may be doing Trials and Tribulations later on in this series, I think. But we weren't, uh, I wasn't allowed to do Future's End because DK doesn't like it. So I'm glad you said that. <laughs> I never said I didn't like it. DK, you said you didn't like it. I swear. <laughs> I'm not no. That up. No, seriously. <laughs> I mean, I love really? Trials and Tribulations more, but no. You know. Well, you, know, you know what was funny about Future's End, I think, was all the fake 90s language that they use, that <laughs> phrases nobody has ever said ever, ever, like freak, Freakosaurus. Yeah, nobody <laughs> in the history of humanity has called anyone else a Freakosaurus outside of that show. That's not yeah, true. If you watch Nickelodeon in the early 90s, I'm sure I heard it all the time on, like, Clarissa Explains It All and stuff. Oh, my <laughs> God. I'm going to be honest now. I got mistaken. It is Future's End I don't like, so apologies, Mike. Thank you. I told you I didn't make it up. Yeah. <laughs> you know what my You have a real like, issue man. with the guest cast and the various chatters. But anyway, we'll not get back and uh, litigate that yet, but I will make you watch it one of these days <laughs> again. Um, yeah, and so uh, final question then before we get to the hit on this section for you, Vian, uh, and it is obviously with this being a bit Halloween-themed and with all things scary in the air, do you have any notable scary moments in Star Trek that you would say were either effective or that you just liked? Um, I am notoriously difficult to scare. So <laughs> I don't, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that really I find scary in Star Trek. I'm, uh, uh, no, nothing, nothing is springing to mind, honestly. That's fair enough. Maybe something that we have in the hit or miss section might jog some uh, some memories. Or I, I think there's things sometimes that are more chilling, I think, or, uh, or freaky than necessarily terrifying because it's yeah. not really a franchise that goes out of its way to to scare you. Um, right. Yeah, I know, the only enough. thing that I can really think of, and I'm blanking on the name of the episode, is when Janeway is uh, putting the guy, was it from the Equinox? And uh, he's in the, the bay and she has the thing attacking him. Mm. Yes, we all make our own hell, Karuman yeah, Lessing. Yeah. I hope you enjoy mm. yours. <laughs> I yeah. love that scene because, uh, yeah, Chakotay is just very nervous and then eventually jumps in and saves him. And yeah, such a, I love that episode just generally, Equinox 1 and 2. 
Anyway. Mm. <laughs> okay, yeah, that makes sense. That's kind of cool, because that's those creatures are a weird concept as well, but that wasn't something I even thought about. But yeah, I guess they're kind of... Although, are they really scary, or are they just defending themselves, I guess? Is the moral oh, no, I, I didn't think that the, the, the alien was scary. I thought the fact that Janeway went there... Mm, yeah, I'm I see like, what you mean. Yes, yeah. yes, get it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so. like, Chicote, step in. <laughs> but yeah, never mind. Awesome. That's when uh, like Janeway it. had a Targaryen moment. <laughs> oh, that's going to be controversial with some members of the audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. So, uh, yeah, awesome. Well, uh, we'll move on from that then. That's quite enough interrogating uh, for even the finest of Cardassians. Uh, so <laughs> I'll move to the next section, which I like to call the hit or miss section. What about my performance? I'm not a drama critic. Uh, as right. mentioned, that is uh, that is what effectively gives the podcast its name, even though it's only a little sort of intro section. Uh, I have a few things, so I'm hoping they're all things you'll be familiar with, but I'm sure they are. Uh, we'll probably try to do maybe six or seven because it's only a shorter episode if we have time. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's just literally I'll throw up an image of some things, uh, ask you if you think they're a hit or a miss, and then little sort of a few reasons why. And if there's any disagreement, we can kind of debate our view back and forth. But we're always nice about it. We're not like arguing or anything like mm -hmm. that. So uh, awesome. Uh, with that in mind, then, as I've mentioned already, uh, if you're a new sort of viewer or listener, uh, the only person who knows what's coming uh, is me on these ones. Officially, I never tell anyone in advance. So with that in mind, if the first thing on the list for today is the Enterprise episode, uh, Impulse. Uh, and do you remember that episode, DK and Vian, or will I need to jog your memory? And do you think it's a hit or a miss if you do recall it? <laughs> oh, if it's the one I think it is, you better jog my memory. Yeah. Uh, it's basically very early in season three of Enterprise when they are in the Delphic Expanse and we've established it's kind of a crazy place where anything can happen. And they find a Vulcan ship that went in there and the whole crew have been effectively turned into these kind of like zombie creatures yeah, because yeah. of the Trillium D that they had to coat the ship in to avoid the anomalies, uh, which becomes basically how T'Pol lapses into the kind of not-so-subtle drug addiction metaphor in season three. But this mm. episode in particular just struck me as like, it's just a zombie sort of haunted house story, but on a Vulcan ship. Um, so, okay, yeah. so this is not the episode I, mean, not I thought it was. All right. Uh, so would you say it's a hit or a miss if you can recall it, Vian? <laughs> uh, can I be brutally honest? Yeah, of course. I think Enterprise overall is a miss. So, <gasps> yeah, it, it's not my show, <laughs> man. I love Porthos and I love Flocks and uh, <laughs> occasionally Shran, but that's pretty much it for me. I just have not, never been able to really get into Enterprise. So I'm going to say it's, a, it's almost certainly a miss. That's fair enough. I uh, I understand. That's why I wasn't sure about um, what series you might have sort of seen, not seen, or been uh, been into. But that's cool. I think we. Like I've, I've seen most of it, just not recently. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Um, okay. Cool. Uh, so yeah, what about you then, DK? Do you recall the episode, and is it a hit or a miss? I do. Just I'm just picking myself up off the floor. Uh, I. <laughs> be nice <laughs> no no i am I, I you know this is the good thing about being trekkies we all have our little you know obsessions and we can appreciate what people like and what people don't like i mean it's enterprise for me is one of my go-to shows whereas you two guys were saying that about voyager enterprise is this for me 
Mm. Apart from that final episode, but I'm not going to go into that. And um, I still maintain that's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I actually quite like this. Uh, you know, I'm a bit of a, a bit of a horror fan, and it was nice to see uh, nice to see a bit of a zombie thing going going down. So yeah, I, yeah. it's it's not my favorite episode of all time, but I'm going to give it a solid hit. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Well, I will say that I. I remember the episode because my primary first memory of it is that I used to have to watch Enterprise on a um, what I guess would be the equivalent of a cable network for you, Vian. It's kind of a terrestrial channel called Channel 4 uh -huh. over here. Um, and because it was on in the middle of the day and it wasn't sort of a place where you would have scary things or language or anything allowed, I think the episode came through at like 29 minutes long instead of the 44 oh it should have God. been because they had cut so much out of it. And I remember oh, watching yeah. it thinking... Like I, I knew it was cut because that was the runtime, even after like adverts and commercials and things. Uh, but I was like, I, that episode made no sense. What did they cut, and how did they decide it would work? Because it doesn't at all. And then see, I think it was uh, what was that? Take sorry. I was going to say, see, this is why I love Spanish TV. Eighteen certificate movies, Sunday afternoon, no problem. <laughs> Yes, we are truly a weirdly international episode coming from Spain, England, and America this uh, this week. But yeah, that's fair enough. But no, so when I did get a chance to watch it properly, um, I think it was when I got the DVD set at the time and watched it and was like, oh, I see what they were doing. It's just a zombie story. And I really appreciated the the references to things like that. Like it opens with T'Pol clearly infected by something and screaming. And then we see her having these nightmares. And I think I always appreciate when Star Trek tries to do you know a pg-13 horror i guess is best way to put it so and i like enterprise anyway so and especially season three so i would say hit as well uh, so i think overall we're gonna call that a hit and hopefully not feel like we're piling on to <laughs> too much um right the second thing on the list for today and i apologize for this picture <laughs> is barclay's protomorphosis syndrome would you say it's a hit or a miss and I'm sure we all remember the episode. So, Vian. <laughs> oh, God. Um, oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. And I'll just, oh, everybody's going to hate me after listening to this, but I can't oh, no, you, you, stand Barkley. You haven't heard my rant about that character or this episode in particular yet, so do oh, not worry. God. You're going okay. to be defended here in a second. <laughs> okay. No, no, it's stupid. It's stupid it's a mess <laughs> it's just like what were they thinking i i can't so, i can't i just don't even have the words with this my disgust with this <laughs> yeah and i just want to know for a sure that like star trek that champions real science which genius in the writer's room is apparently under the impression that humans evolved from freaking spiders yeah well <laughs> we, we want to talk that. about really real science nonsense. You know, go watch Distant Origin and get back to me. Like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is better than thinking we were all spiders. And ah, uh, it's just, mm -hmm. it's so, I hated that episode. When I first watched it, I was like, what is Next Generation doing? They're all mutating into these weird ape creatures and a Klingon beastie. And then Barkley's a spider. What the frick is it? And I just thought, I, I was disgusted. I was like, this isn't Star Trek. Not to sound all gatekeepery, but I was like, no, I hate this. I, I don't see the why this episode was written what the purpose of it is it's nonsense it's just absolute trash b-movie gubbins of the worst kind and yeah i never really liked barkley as a character because he always seemed a little bit like 
a normie's idea of what a Star Trek geek was like. Like they can't fit in socially, so they hide in the holodeck slash television program. Uh, and I found it mildly insulting. <laughs> so, but that's a different argument for a different day. Um, DK, what about you? You're going to tell us how much you love the idea no. of this syndrome that can apparently transform you into a spider. No, no. As much as I love my B-movies, even I have my limit. And season seven had some proper classics in quotation marks. And yeah, it's... Those are heavy oh. quotation marks. They're doing a lot of work. Then. No, shit. Uh, no, it's... it's. I, I mean, as much as I can enjoy any episode of Next Gen, well, you know, apart from certain ones in season one, if it's on, mm. I'll... I'll if if this is on I, on TV, it's there. There's, it's you know, Bad Trek is better than most things on TV. I won't even watch it. I will not. Oh it's the only God. episode I just will not watch. I saw it once. Now I skip it every time. Oh, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm kind of indifferent about it, but it's it's certainly not a favorite. I'm going to go with a soft miss. Well, that's that's three misses then, so it can get in the bin. <laughs> I think we can <laughs> establish such a dumb idea again. Not evolved from spiders. Can't make that clear enough. <laughs> Someone actually commissioned me to draw Barkley as the as the in his spider half form, and I said Ooh. no. <laughs> I did not <laughs> commission. I was like, no, no, not doing it. Not going there. You just I knew you there just was give a, reason a I liked silent it. treatment for a little while, and then just say. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't just say no, it would be like, no, and I don't think we should speak to each other for a yeah. few months now. <laughs> Never communicate with me again. Oh, well. Uh, right, we'll move to the next thing. The third thing on my list is especially for VN, and I don't think it'll be a surprise. Uh, it is the episode Empok Noor. Is it a hit or a miss? Vian, I can't wait to hear why you don't like this episode. <laughs> oh, no, this is a bullseye. This is a hit. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I know that Andy Robinson hated it because he didn't want, you know, he's for so many years in his career was portrayed as he calls it the asshole of the week and playing these villains on TV series. And he'd done it so much. He didn't like doing that with Garrick. But I think it's an important episode for the character because so many people in fandom uh, woobify him. Uh, you guys familiar with that term? No, what did well, we'll it's like the, the, he's a sweet cinnamon roll who did no wrong kind of thing, and I'm like, no, oh, yeah. Garrick, Garrick is a killer, and that's important about him. It's a big part of who he is, and he is a character that does not, I feel, really change over the course of the series. He is always a killer. His loyalties are always to Cardassia, and. Cardassian people and even in the final episode he says oh I have a good reason to go on living it's for revenge this is not a changed man and so to see him in all his glory killing you know the the baddies and then going you know what I'm not done yet I'm just gonna kill all of you and that's who he is when the mask falls off I love that about this episode that's awesome. I love hearing uh, the sheer passion of talking about characters and things that we love. But um, did you not think that the end of the episode was kind of a backtrack from that as he kind of feels very remorseful and like it wasn't me, it was the infection kind of thing? No, no, no. I think I think he is a complicated character. I think that's not who he wants to be necessarily, right. but I do think it's who he is. 
And I think when he's uh, lucid, for lack of a better word, he knows better than to kill the Starfleet off. He knows better than to kill O'Brien and Nog. But that's not to say he wouldn't enjoy it in the right circumstances. Yeah, yeah. Well, we know, you know. We know from other episodes the lengths he's prepared to go to, which is one of the reasons I dislike uh, In the Pale Moonlight, despite everyone else loving it, because I just don't... It hands How dare away, like, you? Goes, I am going to just quit yeah. this episode. Just somebody... You don't get to host anymore, Mike. That's it. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking over. Just... <laughs> I, I will metaphorically take off my combat and pips and drop them dramatically on the ground. <laughs> no, I shall not. I am hosting. <laughs> no. no, it's just I'm 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 the biggest sort of the one of the nerdy kind of trek. Like I want everything to be and I know it's annoying to a lot of people, but I want everything to be kind of moral and great and everything. And I'm not cool with the Starfleet captain going, You killed someone? Yeah, it's for the greater good. <laughs> no, you know what? I agree to an extent because that's why I hate the concept of section thirty one. Yes, because exactly. Yes. I think Section 31 kind of flies in the face of everything we've established that the Federation and humanity has become, and it turns back just to business as usual. And that pisses yep. me off. But I don't feel that way necessarily about small individual incidents like this with Cisco. Uh, I do think it's complicated. I think it's a, a very... Uh, it's a complex issue, but I think yeah. in this case... The, just introducing this one incident with one captain versus there's an entire secret organization and they do, you know. Yeah. yeah. And I, I fully, I like episodes where they explore the moral complexity potentially of a captain. So like I said, like I love Equinox or Equinox, if you want to call it, uh, from yeah. Voyager, because it does explain like what can happen. And it, it's, it's the danger of thinking you're morally in the right can lead you into things that are not cool. You know, but um I'd rather explore that than than some of these other things like Cisco. I hate that line in I think it's the Maquis when he's like, "Well, Earth is the problem because it's a paradise, and we are. It's easy to be gods in paradise, and we look down on people." And I was like, "No, that's not the point at all." <laughs> but never mind. Um, well, the, I mean, the Federation bit, is yeah. pretty imperialist. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. It is a little bit, but um, that's mm. a whole different conversation. Yeah, it got it got kind of weird and messed up for me when they started introducing ideas like them sitting around and letting the Cardassians occupy Bajor. No offense, <laughs> just mm-hmm. like not getting involved. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know about this. Like the Prime Directive is only you know only effective to a certain point. Then you've got to wonder if you're just sitting around going, Nazis took over France. Yeah, not our problem. Well, <laughs> it's, I would say it's a similar you know situation for sure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway, so yeah, Empok no DK, which was the point I think that we were trying to get at. Would you say it's a hit or a miss? I do like that we explored uh, a bit more of Garrick's personality. And mm. uh, as uh, Vian said, it, uh, you know, you saw the guy behind the curtain, as it were, and, you know, why you shouldn't exactly love him, if you know what I mean. Mm. It yeah. doesn't make any difference because at the end of the day, we all still love him anyway. But uh, yeah, I thought it was a, a, a well done one. And going back to, you know, what you were saying about it, it you know, with it kind of being backtracking, saying uh, I was infected. When you look at it, that's what, uh, you know, people, alcoholics say and stuff like that when mm. they get up to uh, it. Yeah. It kind of reveals the truth and they just use it as a crutch, as it were, to explain away their behavior. 
Yeah, because looking at it in the sort of sci-fi metaphor angle, definitely. Uh, and I was going to say that's one of my favourite things about the episode is, and it never really gets talked about, is the fact that it hasn't explored O'Brien's history with the Cardassians since Next Gen Season 4, since The Wounded, which yeah. is one of my favourite episodes. And I love that it talks about that he would have been on the front lines fighting Cardassians and he might well be regarded by them as like somebody with some kind of, I guess, racism or bigotry towards them. And as you said, when... The inhibitions are down. I think Garak stalking around like, oh, yeah, you just want to kill some Cardis, don't you? Is very much perhaps the way he actually views O'Brien with that kind of suspicion and yeah. fear and like, I'm going to kill you well, before you kill me kind of thing. Come on now, though. O'Brien is pretty racist against, well, speciest against Cardassians. I mean, he is. That comes up a couple of times in the show. Yeah, and there's a few moments in DS9, I think, of uncomfortable speciesism, and, yeah. and including at the start of Little Green Men, which I'll mention. Yeah, with um, Worf. Yeah, Worf, of all people, is very kind of Ferengi and Starfleet, not in my day. Like, ooh, Worf, come on. <laughs> you know? But um, yeah, there's some slightly uncomfortable things, but I do like the character of O'Brien, and I do kind of, I wish they'd explored a little bit more of like he would have that kind of battlefield trauma, particularly in a place like DS9, where he is then sucked into another war. And it's never really addressed that like he's been through some shit, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um, but yeah, I do like that episode goes there. And then as the kind of cherry on top, it's nice that Nog gets a chance to kind of be the hero and prove his worth, you know, and that he's not just, you know, Starfleet in appearance only. He can come through in a pinch. So yeah, all, for all of those reasons, I also think the episode is a hit. You'll be glad to hear. <laughs> so the fourth thing on the list for today, uh, and it's a thing from Voyager, uh, it is... Now, how is the best way to describe this? I'll just call it the clown from the episode, The Thor, Ooh. which I guess is, I don't know, fear in representative form or something? Yeah. Anyway. It's fear. It's fear. Yeah. Hit. <laughs> hit. 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 I love it. I love Michael McKeon. Um mm. Wait, that is yeah, that's who that is. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get I get him and the artist Dave McKeon. I get their names reversed sometimes, but yes, I love Mike McKeon. I love this episode. I know a lot of people hate it. I just think it is a really fun, playful, interesting episode, and I love the Doctor's interactions with Fear, and I love you know just the jokes that are really supposed to be creepy, but they're honestly they're not. They're just funny. And um, I love that Janeway kicks his ass at the end because she mm. is the best captain. So I just, I think this is a great episode. I think it's a really fun one. And I actually, back in the 90s, I used to record these. And every once in a while, I would get my non-Trekkie friends to watch an episode like this, you know. And, and they would be like, oh, this is Star Trek. Cool. <laughs> you know, like, so yeah, I love this definitely. episode. Awesome. That's great. Uh, yeah, glad to hear it. Uh, DK, what about you? Would you say hit or a miss? Uh, I'm going to go with hit. I normally i am not that afraid of clowns. Everyone else seems to be, but he really creeped the hell out of me in this one. <laughs> I mean, kudos to McKeon for that. I uh, Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this episode, so definite hit for me. That's fair enough. I wasn't really creeped out by it because I've never really been afraid of clowns either, and I know I was too familiar with Michael McKean from kind of you know, the improvised comedy movie scene yeah. and stuff. So I was kind of like, well, I know who it is. The actor's familiar to me. But having said that, some of the creepier things the episode does, like involving the 
I guess, followers of his and the way he plays it, the, the creepy factor he brings it is really good. But ultimately what makes it for me isn't so much that the character does anything. It's, as Fian said, it's in his defeat. It's the way that it literally, it's it's the embodiment of Janeway defeating fear by literally just going up to him and going, yeah, I'm not scared of you. And then him being left alone in a corner like, oh, she's too <laughs> strong for me. I'm so weak. And it's like, yeah, that's quite an inspiring message when you ultimately think about it as well. So... Yeah, and like, I'm uh, just gonna like say, coming coming from a woman captain, especially as a woman, mm -hmm. to see that strength uh, mm -hmm. is really important. So, yeah, I can I can imagine. I mean, I can't obviously speak to it, but yeah, I can definitely see why that would be the case. And I was always uh, rooting for Janeway to have moments like that, to be honest. So, I appreciated it. But yeah, having said that, like I said, McKean absolute kudos to your performance i did by no means degrading by saying that you know oh, i just recognize the actor because he did kind of sell me on a lot of the creepy factor and yeah that's a sinister vibe there for sure uh awesome so that is three hits again i think for the clown let me see what to pick out of what's left ah actually i had something that i promised you i would include dk for you <laughs> okay you know what's coming now don't you i think i do or have you already forgotten <laughs> <laughs> right so the next thing on the list hit or miss the aliens from the next gen episode schisms so vian will go to you first hit or miss uh, what's in the middle of hit and miss i'm kind of neutral on this one <laughs> neutral, um, <I> guess, yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm just thinking like you know it's it's on the target it's just not in the center um I don't know. It's an it's an okay one. I don't have any strong feelings either way, really. That's fair enough. Uh, what about you, DK? Well, you know what I'm going to say. I love this. I love this. <laughs> it, it. I mean, I I grew up fearing fearing alien abductions. I mean, not that you get them in Barnsley, but uh, <laughs> and, even were, <laughs> and even if they were, you know, it it would be probably better than what day to day life was. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, it really unnerved me. The uh, the scene in the holodeck where they're trying to recreate the uh, the operating table, as it were. And mm, yes. I I don't like the fact that they. I mean, I, I kind of do and don't like the fact that they never went back to the. They do in the Trek Online game, but they never went back to them in the series. And it's kind of a missed opportunity. But at the same time, I like that ambiguity that it left you with. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I the. It's a personal thing. They do creep me out, so it's definitely a hit from me. Love them. Fair enough. Um, I think I'm somewhere in between the two of you in that I think it was a hit. It's a success. I can't remember the episode that well, but I can remember the sense of kind of dread, I guess. And it's like you said, DK, the idea of alien abduction and the fact that all the scenes of it are kind of filmed in that weird pseudo-nightmare memory kind of way. Uh, and then, as you said, the the nature of filling in the gaps with the holodeck as it gradually piece by piece shows you what's been happening. I remember being a really chilling scene, but other yeah. than that, just the overall plot of the episode was just in one ear and out the other. So <laughs> I think in my case, very soft hit, but I will still say a hit for that one. I think um, it's one of those that, that, yeah. that, that, that it's more of a mood piece than a, a well-structured yeah. plot. Yeah. That's kind oh, of, I think that, that's a good way of saying it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough. I don't feel quite so bad then for not remembering a lacking <laughs> plot, I suppose. Okay, uh, so we have one more, and I'm going to include it for, if nothing else, just the sheer laugh factor of it. Uh, so apologies to any sensitive members of the audience. Hit or miss for Beverly Crusher's sex scandal. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Okay. So if I don't say hit, Ali Catraz and Trekkie Bill will kill me. So I will say a hit on their behalf. Awesome. We have to have them on the show. Oh, <laughs> Just yeah. talk about Sub Rosa for an hour. That would be great. <laughs> DK, what about you? It's it's absurd, but it's one of those absurds that you you go, yeah, I can roll with this. It's <laughs> what is it? It's it was season seven again, wasn't it? Oh, of course it was. <laughs> no, yeah, it was. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It it was as I say, it's another classic, but this one and I can I can just kind of yeah, it's mental. Just go with it. Okay. So off the off the record, uh okay. Allie and Bill. Um <laughs> why do we make fun of Threshold when we have Sabrosa? I know. <laughs> uh, uh, that's I'm the anybody's guess. I'm sorry. I I want to do a whole piece on Threshold because I actually don't think it's as bad as everybody makes it out to be. And it's fun, but we literally have this. Like, <laughs> I mean, there is so it's, much it's, to trash here. It's a fair point. I, yeah, I, well, I'm, I'm firmly in the, the, again, basic bitch camp of just hating Threshold. I'm sorry, but that's just me. Um, uh, oh, my God. Okay. But, oh, I, I will remain, <laughs> remain in the hit just for the absurdity of it. So we'll, we'll yeah. give Beverly her sex goes. Oh, definitely, yeah. When it comes to this one, it's kind of it's weird because it's the polar opposite of when it comes to Genesis, in that this is absolute nonsense, not particularly Star Trek like. But I love it because it's comedy gold. <laughs> like yeah. the fact that Gates McFadden has to have known that she's just playing having an orgasm in these scenes, right? She's it's not subtle. She knows what she's doing, right? She does definitely, right? Because yeah. I have to know yeah, that she's that, sure. she's not that bad of an actress that she didn't realize this, you know. But uh, yeah, it's just it's just so funny to me the whole general concept. You know, it was your grandmother's lover. Now it's passed on to you. It's a it's a misty ghost that lives in a sex candle, which is something straight out of Torchwood, I guess. DK, you'll know what yes, I mean. <laughs> it definitely. plays out like a really cheesy like romance kind of novella, I guess, for the majority of the episode. And again, just the icing on the cake, it's inexplicably all takes place on a colony which is just Scotland in space. It just, it, it literally yeah, feels why like not? It's, just... it literally feels like it's been self-published on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> it does, it feels like one of the Star Trek writers just picked up their first kind of Mills and Boone book, so they picked up one of those, read it, yeah. and was like, ooh, we can do a Trek episode like this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I do think the the writer was basically a pen name for Danielle Steele or somebody like that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So I'd love to know. So if you were like a kid watching Next Gen for the first time, Vian, do you remember? Were you like super young watching this and just confused as to what the heck was going on? Oh well, by the time season seven came out, I had to have been ten or eleven. I mean, you know, I wasn't, you know, a baby anymore. So. <laughs> I, you know, after I got this the episode. general idea. Yeah. Lost my innocence <laughs> to Star Trek. <laughs> and now I want a t-shirt that says I lost my innocence to Sobrosa. <laughs> <laughs> and then just I love you Ronin on the back. <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe not. That's a that's almost as bad as the X is landing merchandise that's currently on the road. I'm I'm heading over to Redbubble after this. 
he's going to make it. He's producing them. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's uh, so that's going to uh, do it for the hit or miss kind of spooky, scary things section for this Halloween special. Uh, so you'll be glad to be able to put some of those behind us at least. But, you know, it was always fun to look at some of the more out there aspects of the Trek universe because it's not a monolith and it's nice to recognize that. Uh, so we will, without any further ado, move on to our next section, which will be the uh, actual review of the episode. Uh, that we're talking about today, which is Deep Space Nine's Little Green Men. We will begin our analysis of that episode. Analysis, Mr. Um, so, if you just bear with me, I do have a little bit of kind of behind-the-scenes information. I'm trying, I'll try and get to it as quick as I can so that it's not too dry, and I will put on some funky background music, which I've tried to make uh, atmospheric and moody to fit the Halloween theme. Can we hear that? Is it getting us there <laughs> yes are we are we all placing down our scottish sex candles anyway <laughs> so, play, play something public domain yes yes that's pretty much exactly what i'm doing <laughs> absolutely <laughs> <laughs> awesome so yeah little green men uh, this story as it turns out has four credited writers two for the story and two for the teleplay uh, Robert Hewitt Wolf explains all the characters are archetypes from B-movies, the sort of human nurse who sees beyond appearance, and the tough cigar-tromping general, the sort of traitorous mid-level military officer, the noble scientist, and it was just like so much fun to play with all these archetypal science fiction characters. Sort of give a nod even beyond the original series, but a nod to all these great movies from the 50s which made Star Trek possible in the first place. Did we pick up on that in the episode? It's not so old, but yes. yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, Tony Marbury and Jack Trevino pitched the story during the first season of Deep Space Nine, but Michael Pillar wasn't keen on the concept. Early in the fourth season, with the 50th, 50th anniversary of the Roswell incident approaching, Rene Echevarria proposed they do the quote-unquote Roswell show, and everyone agreed. Uh, the scene where all the humans are observing the Martians behind the one-way mirror and smoking was a deliberate commentary on the use of tobacco in the 40s. Indeed, the studio was originally against having anybody at all smoking in the episode, but Iris Stephen Bear pointed out they couldn't do an homage to 50s B-movies without seeing the characters smoke. A lot. In particular, he cites the 1951 movie Lost Continent as taking this to an extreme. According to Bear, you see smoking in 50s movies all the time, from war movies to bug-eyed monster films, but Continent took it to an art form that's jaw-dropping to watch. Every time there's a problem, everyone just starts handing out cigarettes. However, Bear <laughs> was not entirely happy with how the commentary on nicotine came across in the finished episode. He feels because it's such an easy target for criticism, he and Robert Hewitt Wolf should have been more subtle. Knocking cigarettes is such an easy target, we thought it would speak for itself, but we actually verbalized it, and I wish we hadn't. We got a bit self-righteous, and it was like shooting ducks in a barrel. Uh, to which I would say, I don't mind it. I think sometimes things might seem obvious, but they still kind of need to be said. And I don't think it was overly preachy or too too far. But I'd love to know if you two <laughs> have a similar opinion. It was a little on the nose occasionally. Because I think okay. they mentioned it more than once. Yeah, 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 definitely. But I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm honestly more annoyed by him saying shooting ducks in a barrel. It, isn't it... <laughs> Shooting fish in a barrel? Isn't that the expression, or am I crazy? <laughs> I, I'm just Maybe reading that's the next uh, level. <laughs> no, I believe I'm you. I'm just saying it's a, it's yeah. a quote, and uh, that just like drives me nuts. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, whatever. It was the '40s. People smoke. What the, you know? What are you gonna do? Uh, it was the yeah. '90s. You had to make a comment. It was just a different time, you know. 
definitely. Uh, but speaking about similar criticisms, Bear might have been unhappy about the criticism of nicotine, but he had no such reservations about criticisms of the A-bomb. He said that while writing the teleplay for the episode, he saw the movie True Lies. According to Bear, the movie incensed him because an A-bomb is used as the backdrop for a kiss between the lead character and his wife. This led him to deduce that the difference in movie making between Doctor Strangelove and True Lies exemplifies a culture that has lost its way, where the blast of an atomic bomb literally seems to have lost its meaning. I thought if the everyday coded messages of what things mean has become so tainted and so lost that we're no longer able to identify the world clearly and understandably because of our inability to use the language and visualization of things, then let's just take it and make it even stupider. This is why at the end of the episode, Bear had an atomic bomb save Quark as a co commentary on the absurdity of that scene in True Lies and on a society that accepts such a scene as perfectly okay. The greatest weapon known to man is employed in a deus ex machina style ending to save the hero. And all I can really say to that is clearly satire is dead. So, yep. <laughs> Wasn't that incensed myself by true lies, but fair enough. Fair play to you. Yeah, I think his intention probably went way over everybody's heads. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just think... It, uh, I'm by no means, I'm far from kind of a sort of military supporter or a conservative or anything, but I just think, I don't believe that was James Cameron going, yeah, A-bombs are cool. <laughs> I think mm. <laughs> he, he kind of misread the situation there. Uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> what about you, DK? Any thoughts on that one? I honestly, I mean, I could say I could see his point of view, but you can hammer it home a bit too much. And I think that kind of... He's dwelling on something that I don't think he needs to. We're going back to, yeah. you know, uh, uh, the curtains are blue conversation. And yeah, it's mm, it, it's pointless. Definitely. Fair enough. I mean, uh, when you look at Cameron, uh, you know, when he did The Abyss, to then say mm. that the movie after that was glorifying the A-bomb, I think you yeah. have to be missing a trick somewhere along the line. Well, just look at Avatar. I mean, <laughs> there's no fighter example of somebody that's like, technology is bad. Nature is the way, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, I suppose that hadn't come out yet. <laughs> Never mind. Um, so, yeah, talking about... Sorry. Go ahead, Vianne. Well, I, I was just going to say that, you know, if your intention is to make a commentary, uh, you know, in this case, you know, Iris Stephen Bear, making a commentary about the fact that we've lost touch and, you know, taking this and it's putting this on its head and this thing that's a tool of devastation actually saves the hero, but that's ridiculous because it's a tool of devastation. I mean, you have to communicate that clearly, otherwise you're just talking to yourself. And I don't yeah. think <laughs> if that was his intention, I do not think that was clearly communicated to the audience. Oh, not yeah, definitely least. not. I, I personally just thought it was a reference to The Incredible Hulk because I'm a huge comic book nerd. So that was my initial thought it was like, oh, it's around that era. I guess that was what he was commenting on. Nope. Mm. <laughs> okay. Uh, right. Talking of kind of sci-fi B movies and things, uh, the characters are named for similar uh, sort of characters and actors. Lieutenant General Denning was named after actor Richard Denning from Creature from the Black Lagoon and The Day the World Ended. Nurse Faith Garland is named after the actress Beverly Garland from Swamp Women and It Conquered the World. I haven't seen these movies, but they sound amazing. Uh, Professor Jeff was named after actor Richard Carlson from The Magnetic Monster and It Came from Outer Space, which I have. <laughs> this is uh, just a random fact this next thing that I found really amusing um, according to Megan Gallagher there was a casting breakdown for the episode which described the role of Garland as looking for a Megan Gallagher type her then agent then called and said you know Megan might be able to do it the role was then offered to her directly which at that point they kind of had to right <laughs> <Surely>. yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> I just love that. Um, where are we? Both Jonathan Hears from the Roger Corman film Little Shop of Horrors and Gregory Walcott from Edward's infamous Plan 9 from Outer Space auditioned for the role of Lieutenant General Denning. Ken, Do- Ken Toby was also considered, but he was uh, disregarded because he'd previously guest starred already in Shadowplay. So, there we go. Uh, this episode is directed by James L. Conway. In the episode, Quark's ship is stored in Hangar 18 at the base. Not coincidentally, Conway directed a movie called Hangar 18 a film about the Roswell incident. As soon as Conway heard about the upcoming Hangar 18 episode, he expressed interest to Ira Stephen Bear and noted directing this was like coming full circle. And coincidentally enough, Hangar 18 was represented by Paramount Stage 18, which is a nice bit of symmetry, I think. So, yeah. Uh, And that is all of the boring information that I have for this episode for now. So I will shut off the music for now and uh, ask... Uh, as we get into discussing the episode, as I said, we don't really have any order or structure. We just go where the conversation takes us. Uh, and so uh, with, with as loose a style as possible, I'm just going to open it up and ask what were your thoughts on the episode overall? Uh, Vian, we'll come to you first as the guest. What are your thoughts in general on the app? I love this episode. I think, um, well, let's be real. Of the main cast, Armin Shimmerman is the best actor. So anytime you have a Quark-centric episode, it's always going to be enjoyable just because Armin's performances are always so outstanding. But I think really giving uh, Armin and Max Grodinschik and Aaron Eisenberg an opportunity to have an episode that was really just centered around the three of them and giving them each an opportunity to shine, uh, that alone makes this worth watching. But I like getting into the Ferengi culture. I like an opportunity to hear their language for the first time, I think. Um, hmm. I, I like the throwback to the 40s and 50s, you know, in the B movies and the the red panic that tied into the space race and, you know, the whole alien abductions and all that stuff and how it's all intertwined. Um, and I just think it's a really fun episode. Hmm. That's fair enough. Awesome. Uh, what about you, DK? Any sort of uh, initial thoughts on the app? Uh, I'm I'm not trying to go against Vian here. I like it, but it's not as fun this time around for some reason as it was when I initially watched it. It didn't hold up for me this time. I'm not sure why. Yeah, um, and I'll get into the reasons why, but I think I was similarly kind of... I don't think it's a bad episode at all, but I do remember kind of liking it a lot more when it was fresh than I did kind of this time around with watching it with more of a critical eye. Um, but then again, I think I am the wrong audience for it because I just never really liked the Ferengi as a general concept. Controversially enough, I just think they're a, a you know they're a very obvious kind of satire on isn't our capitalist culture bad that got old like two episodes after they first appeared and then somehow kept on getting dragged out. Um, so I wasn't loving all those kinds of jokes and stuff, but I did love when they were using it to comment on. Uh, as mentioned, things like, well, if they'll buy poison, they'll buy anything, or they kind of live next to deadly weapons that are, again, poisoning them, and these people are so savage and stupid, but, uh, yeah. So, like, looking at it through that lens, I think, gave it a new perspective that I did appreciate, Um, and I wasn't sure if that was maybe the whole intent always with the Ferengi that I'm just missing, or if it was something that this episode specifically set out to do, Um, but I'd love uh, either of you guys' opinions on that. Uh, no, I don't know. I think that's kind of the point is to make us go, gosh, if even the Ferengi are looking at us and going, wow, that's a fucked up species. Um, I mean, that's something to maybe sit and reflect on because, you know, all the stuff that they were pointing out was, you know, true for, you know, 
more or less, I mean, with, you know, the weapons testing and, you know, ca unchecked capitalism and, you know, uh, secrets and militarism and imperialism and all that. And so I do think it's something to reflect on. And as far as the Ferengi, I agree with you, maybe as the way they were presented in Next Gen, but I think Deep Space Nine really enriched the species and uh, gave it more depth. So I, I tend to enjoy them. Uh, see, I, I don't, I just, I found myself groaning at things in this episode, like the idea where they had to introduce things like the kind of Ferengi religion idea. And so their version of the afterlife is either you're at the divine treasury coated in gold or you're at the vault of eternal destitution. And it's just kind of, that's the kind of thing where I'm like, yeah, we get the joke. It's, you know, it's, you're just, you're, you're hammering home the same point here, you know, um, and I'd like perhaps a little bit more exploration than just, yes, this entire culture is just that one note, you know, um, but again, that could just be me being a little bit too cynical and uh, and weary, but yeah. PK, well, but I mean, I think you could make that argument about any alien species that's introduced in Star Trek are generally one, one character trait that's built around. And in this case, they're, you know, capitalists and, and, and money. And, but I mean, if you look at the Klingon, their whole thing is the warrior. And if you look at the Vulcans, their whole thing is the logic. And, you know, so I don't mm. think that's something that's specific to Ferengi. Yeah. I, I guess I just, I, I don't, I, I guess I just didn't like, I appreciate the capitalist commentary. I just don't see how, for me, it was kind of really, uh, you know, it was, it was, hitting with a sledgehammer that every aspect of their culture has to feed into capitalism in that way and like i said it got ridiculous for me when it was things like you know the divine theology. treasury and yeah it's like okay come on <laughs> like I, I i would be fine if it was a commentary where quark says you know the things that he does where like it's it's perfectly fine and logical to me that he would land there and think these people are idiots it's our duty now to exploit them if they buy poison we can sell them anything we can pretend to take over. We can give the Ferengi warp drive centuries ahead of anyone, even though that doesn't make sense in continuity, but that's a different argument. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so I, I kind of get all that, like, haha, the ultimate businessman. And I loved the line from, um, I think it's Denning, when he says that Quark doesn't sound like a Martian. He sounds like his brother-in-law, who is a used car salesman and not a very good one. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> you recognize, you know? Um, but yeah. So yeah, DK, what are your general thoughts? Are you kind of uh, somewhere in between us, or you? I, 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 I kind of am. Them? Yeah, I kind of am. The Ferengi—they've never been my favorite race. I'll be—I'll be completely honest. I didn't mind the continual kind of references to their culture. Uh, I'm—I'm I'm more interested in hearing continual references to Ferengi culture than I am being hit over the head with Klingon culture. Thank uh, you. And, I disagree, but okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I think they they uh, I, th I think they they all do it to some extent. It's I, I, I don't think it's too egregious. I don't think it's too tame. I, yeah, I'm just kind of in the middle. It's it's there, but I just think it, it like I said, it ties into my problem with this episode. Uh, currently, anyway, even though I, I enjoy the episode, it it does seem to spend a lot of its time hammering on the same couple of anvils if you know what i mean there's not there's yeah not a great deal point. of meat to the bone yeah it kind of it, it it recognized something to uh as began was hinting like can it a target to aim at and it hit close enough to the target and was like that'll do 
<laughs> yeah. rather than really getting into any in-depth like there's so much you could explore and so much you could do with the idea like it's such a cool central concept of um we are now combining star trek with the roswell incident and yeah okay fair enough it's a bold decision to play it for laughs but i appreciate that star trek can make that work a lot of the time as well and like i said i just think they cottoned onto that one joke thought they were also clever and then just dragged it into the crowd yeah i think it worked better in the episode i think i think was it voyager false prophets where they do yeah. show them taking over if you know what i mean yeah yeah that's yeah, a that wonderful episode yeah yeah um yeah i mean that like I said, I have. I, I, it's not that I dislike the Ferengi in general. There are some Ferengi episodes that I like when they're not just all about this one gag. Like I love the magnificent Ferengi because I love the absurdity of like the the magnificent seven, but with the most cowardly, sort of silly, ridiculous people yeah. you could imagine. And then they just do weekend at Bernie's in the middle of it. You know? <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, but I'd rather they did something like that than just yes, we know what they represent. Blah blah blah. Um, and this is a small moment, but it's it's. I'd be interested to know if you guys are on the same page as me. I really didn't like it that they make pains to say that Nog like wants to be better and he's going to Starfleet and yeah, kind of has to fit in there. And then at the end or towards the end of um, the journey to Earth, they discover that like smart Quark is smuggling chemocyte and Nog's like, well, technically as a Starfleet officer, I should report you, but since I'm not sworn in yet, I'll take a percentage of your profits. And I'm just like. Oh, that's a terrible way of starting that character's journey, really, isn't it? Or was that just me? I didn't. I didn't really mind that because, I mean, he's at the end of the day, he's still a Ferengi, and yes, he's trying to better himself. But as we all trying to better ourselves, we all inevitably fall back on the the problems that do hold us back. So, yeah, I didn't really, I didn't really mind that. So I thought it was added a little bit more depth to it, to be honest. And I kind of have to take issue with the idea that Nog is bettering himself by being more human. I mean, I don't know that I would phrase it that way. He's definitely doing something different than what's expected of his species. But are we in a position to say it's better to be in Starfleet than it is to pursue traditional Ferengi values? I, I don't think I can say that. That's so, fair enough. I mean, know. I think it goes back to the whole, you know, Section 31 argument in that, yeah. you know, we, we're judging on our morals and I do think that from there. having said that though I do think we are not ambiguously supposed to think the Ferengi are backwards when they're doing things like oh all the women have to walk around naked yes you're not going to that planet <laughs> you know it's just it's ridiculous and it's again it's just like well yeah all right I get it you know they're the they're the idiots they're the backwards ones whatever <laughs> um, but you know it's there's no real exploration of that it's just done for a quick gag which yeah. I never appreciate I suppose um, mm -hmm. And I did feel a little bit like attacked, I guess, by some parts of the episode, which were, like I said, they were really muddling with the message they were going for. But it did seem like a lot of the time they were just like, aren't you all scum viewers? Aren't humans all terrible? And I'm like, well, hang on. <laughs> you know. Well, I think this that if you had that response, Mike, <laughs> that it probably struck you in a place that was true. So I would yeah. say they are doing their job at that point and making you reflect and go, gosh, uh, I feel a little offended by this. I mean, maybe I should think about it and why it offends me, you know? I, mean, I, I can see your I'll point. I'll be honest, we are trash. It's, yeah. Oh, it, yeah. Again, we've we've <laughs> obviously, in some respects, sort of improved in yeah. uh, by the Federation's time. 
Yeah, but that that's my point is that, like I've mentioned before, I watch Star Trek for the kind of like part of a large part of it for me is, as I've mentioned before, the idea of wanting to look for a better thing and wanting that kind of dreamer ideal. And as much as I appreciated that, like we have a character that represents that in Nurse Garland, it felt to me like she was deliberately done as a parody of like, you don't really think this or this is a nonsense idea. And it's like, of all places to do that, is Star Trek really the, they, the place to do it? If, if I'm being honest, your own point, aren't yeah, you a with, bit? <laughs> I think what what didn't help is that while the Ferengi were given these animated roles and given you know most of the better the dialogue, the human characters were very just two dimensional. Yeah, exactly. They were stereotypes, and yeah, there was no attempt to do anything with them. Um, but yeah, like I said, because my favorite Star Trek looks at the human condition, and for me, looks at kind of. Yeah, we suck, but there's hopefully going to be the odd dreamer among us that, that you know, the odd Edith Keeler and exactly this is, every kind of con. The, this is the problem that I have. It's and... it's you you don't really have that. I mean, Megan Gallagher's character, she she kind of does a cheap imitation of Edith Keeler exactly, at times, yeah. and it point, just yeah. comes across very very hollow. Because other than that, they could have all been played by cardboard cutouts. I mean, Charles Napier is just Charles Napier, as in pretty much everything he's ever done, you know. Except since... Star Trek, ironically enough. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. It, it well, was... I would have to say, though, it's our job as viewers to look at this and go, okay, how can I, if this is where we are now, and we're trashing our planet, and we're, we're, rampant capitalism and we're doing all these things that are bad for us as a species and that are not going to get us to the future that we are envisioning in star trek what can i as an individual do looking at this episode and, and getting that reflection what can i as an individual do that's gonna get us there or help I, get us there rather but, than looking at the episode and going where's the character that's gonna get us there i no, have but, to be that character that's on us that's on us to do but I think the problem is with that, if, you're, if you've been watching Trek all this time, you're kind of preaching to the choir in that regard. Because, yeah. you you know, th these, this audience, it's not your typical, you know, other than right-wing trolls on Twitter. I would hasten to say that a lot of Trek fans already kind of live by that. And, you know, I can, I'm going to speak from personal I, experience. I, well, DK, I used to think that too until I've had so many interactions with people that I'm like, wow, you missed the point. Yeah, you know, yeah. and I used That's... to really go to bat for the Trekkie community. And I, I don't so much anymore because I think that so many of us have assumed we are all like-minded on these subjects that they're preaching to the choir, but they're not because so many people don't get it. That's a fair enough point. Me and Mike have had that conversation recently, and it's yeah. It but my issue uh, to to bring that back to this episode, my issue with that is that that message ends up incredibly muddled. Like I was reading that this is the only episode in like eight hundred odd episodes where it ever mentions a political party. When the Denning character comes in and is like, "Oh, that piano playing Democrat might be an idiot, yeah. but he's got the right idea here," and it's just kind of like, "Whose side are we on in this episode?" Because it's definitely not the Ferengi as much as you may think it is because like I said every now and then it just drops in oh by the way they're stupid they're sexist they're overly obsessed and greedy and capitalist but it can't be the humans because they're very kind of like we are idiots we're poisoning ourselves we're militaristic so okay, who's okay. The hero I, gotta the I gotta interrupt you here because I think that <laughs> brings up another wonderful point and it's something I was actually thinking about recently watching some stuff go down on Trek Twitter is that 
sometimes both sides of an argument are wrong. Sometimes mm. there isn't somebody to root for. Sometimes everybody is just being awful. And I think this might be a good example of that. I mean, my sometimes counter, nobody's yeah. right. No, my counter to that would be that's not very entertaining, is it? <laughs> well, in this case, I would say it was because I believe it's a fun episode, but it wasn't for you guys. So, oh, no, you know. I, I, I mean, I wouldn't say it wasn't a fun episode, and I'm certainly not wanting to feel like I'm kind of attacking the episode or anybody that liked it. There were some parts that I really liked. It's just I was trying to look into ways that was like, why did it feel kind of shallow and a bit like hollow for me? I think, um, yeah. I, and I, 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 I can't put my finger on it, but I'm just kind of spitballing ideas kind of back and forth, I guess. If um, you remove the humorous yeah, so, angle from it, it's a very nihilistic take. Yeah. Yeah. And and, Which, and I don't think that marries very well with the humor, and that's the problem that I'm that I have with it. Yeah, and I think it's summed up for me in the kind of the, the last exchange of the episode because it's as muddled as the rest of it. When you have Quark saying, "Just remember, when you're hanging out with humans, Nog, that under their veneer they're just horrible savages," and Nog just goes, "Ah, oh, well, maybe, but I like them." And I'm like, "Is that the message? Because that's so weird, you know." <laughs> Um, yeah, anyway. <laughs> well, it's not the first time we hear that from Cork, though. I mean, we hear that from him again and again when they're out camping with Cisco and Jake. Uh, you know, he brings that up. And then when, uh, you know, Nog is going to war and he's like, you know, humans are just as savage as every mm. other race once you take away their creature comforts and they're yeah. not actually that enlightened. So, I mean, that's that's a line we kind of a view we kind of hear from him over and over, and I don't think he's necessarily wrong. Oh, um, no, it's not the... But, my issue isn't you know, with the... Yeah. My issue isn't with Quark's off of that conversation. It's just that the best response they could give Nog is, yeah, they are, but never mind. We like them anyway. And it's like, that mm. doesn't seem like a particularly deep answer to the question, you know? <laughs> gotcha. It, it, it does yeah. seem to try and look at deep issues, but glosses over the favor of rehashed gags and I think yeah. that's where it kind of falls flat a little. Uh, yeah, I will say, though, just to, to bring it sort of a couple of notes in that I did, like, because I don't want to feel like I'm piling on. Um, and in, to, to kind of counter my point about, like, it, it seems very cynical towards humans. There are a couple of moments that I really like. Uh, and one of them is when uh, Nog and Jake are bonding about how they've kind of just wasted time hanging out on the promenade and, and staking out their little spot. Don't love the fact that they basically say they were ogling women the entire time, but at least they bonded with each other. I guess yeah. I can kind of take that, you know. I mm. did like those opening scenes. Uh, I thought they had some quite some decent emotional depth for it, and you actually felt for the two uh, as they were saying goodbye. I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah. Uh, so what did you think of those moments, uh, Via? And did you find them a little bit too saccharine, maybe, if you appreciate the uh, the, the satire part? <laughs> Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't find them too saccharine. I love the relationship between Nog and Jake, um, and I think it's really beautifully presented over the course of the series. So I think it's appropriate there would be a certain amount of sorrow at their parting. Yeah, yeah. It's just, um, yeah. It's it's a nice moment, and it's nice to know that like that trek, you know, uh, insp inspiring this. That's not a word. Inspiration is kind of sort of there to to see as well. Um, let me see, yeah, just trying to work through and see what kind of notes I've got. Oh, uh, on a similar note, um, as much as, as I said, I don't always love what they do with the Ferengi, I actually really liked that they, even though it might be a bit obvious, they verbalize Rom saying when Quark calls him stupid for the umpteenth time, no, uh, Rom says, you know, I've always been smart, I just lacked self-confidence. 
And I yeah. was like, yeah, you get yours, buddy. <laughs> You're not dumb. Stop taking this abuse, <laughs> you know? It was nice to see him uh, stand up for himself, yeah. I, yeah. I do think, you know, Quark aside, I mean, Quark is a great character, but I, I always love seeing the interplay between Rom and Nog. Yeah, definitely, yeah. I think that Max Grudinchik is such an outstanding actor that any time Rom is on screen, I'm just delighted. I just, I, I don't think he ever misses. I mean, he's just such a joy to watch that I uh, I loved that moment. Um, I, I love any any good rom scene. So yeah, I'm yeah. I'm all for it. I do agree with you, but I do think for me personally, it grates a little bit when he goes too broad. So like when he really overdoes the crying for a Moogie bit during the interrogation, See, I was like, that, oh no, <laughs> I like that. That was my favorite scene. Really? Okay. Yeah, I just loved I just loved it. Quark's denying everything. Nog's claiming there's an invasion fleet above, and Rom's just crying for his movie. It just—it's complete pandemonium, and I love that. Fair enough. Okay, cool. Maybe it's just—I mean, it's more—it's not so much the uh, content; it's more just the the delivery, and it's just kind of like, oh, it, it, for me, it's a bit too, like I said, broad of an acting choice, I guess. I um, think my inclination, uh, my instinct, is that that was a direction. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Rather than an acting choice specifically, that's just from my background that my take on that. But yeah, definitely. Uh, fair enough. Well, yeah. Um, let me just see uh, a few things I wanted to mention. Um, it was I, I had no idea this happened, even though I've seen this episode several times. But I still got a nice sort of geeky shock when they showed the uh, the picture of Gabriel Bell, and it was Cisco <laughs> from the yes. uh, the past tense episodes. Speaking of time <laughs> travel. Yeah, that was a nice nod to that episode. You're a fan of those episodes, yeah? Uh, I think they are um, startling. Mm. So, yeah, I think they're alarming, and I think we're seeing some big truth mm. to it. And uh, I'm not crazy about that, but um, slightly prophetic, yeah. Yeah, too, uh, yeah, too close to the bone and... Uh worrying yeah. that more people aren't realizing it unfortunately um but again i, I did this rant when uh, in our last episode talking about the city on the edge of forever where i was mm. like it's so it's so depressing that what what edith keeler was mocked for in the 1930s we're still mocking people for thinking like that and it's like yeah we've come nowhere in a hundred years have we you know but, um yeah that's a depressing thought so we'll move on to something funnier hey, isn't it amusing when Worf uses a tooth sharpener <laughs> <laughs> Just no. <laughs> no. <laughs> wow, we found the one part of the episode you didn't like. I oh, I just don't like Worf. Oh, I just oh. don't. I just, I just oh, don't. Um, I did think it was funny that Jadzia buys porn for Julian. I thought that was funny. But... I, I just do not love, again, the fact that because they're the Ferengi, they have to be pervy and have holodeck programs about love slaves and stuff, and it's like, oh, well, it's I didn't think that was a that, that was not a remark on the Ferengi specifically because obviously Jadzia and Julian were doing so. I mean, I think that's something everybody does. Like, mm, not gonna maybe. lie, if we had holodeck technology, I would be uh, all over that. So, uh, you know, I, yeah, I didn't, yeah. I didn't take it as being Ferengi specific. You've seen Red Dwarf, mate, and the holodeck. 
<laughs> yeah, we just do cowboy stuff, right? That's all. <laughs> he wore he wore out the groin attachment. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> That's just a complete detour, but yeah, watch Red Dwarf, everybody. It's funny. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, let's see. Um, again, in terms of running the joke into the ground, I didn't love that they did the paraphrase of "All I ask is a tall ship and a load of contraband to fill it with." <laughs> Oh, I love that line. God, Mike. Oh, you're a mess. <laughs> Harsh. First time guest nails it. <laughs> oh, well then. I'm not sure, but I think I just got insulted. <laughs> oh, it's done out of love, dude. Oh, no. <laughs> but yeah, as I was mentioning, I love even the dialogue of like, um, most of our time was doing nothing, but I can't think of anyone I'd rather do nothing with. Because I just love the fact that we are allowed to have like bonding, intimate relationships that don't have to be romantic in Star Trek a lot of the time. Um, yes. Yeah, more of that, please. Yeah. Uh, I did think Nog's magic guidebook got a bit ridiculous. Like I was fine with the idea that you can have a guidebook for an entire planet, even though that's a stretch. But then when he was like, I read about these mid-20th century military uniforms in my guidebook, I was like, really? Why? That was, was kind of convenient, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Possible use does that have? <laughs> did it did it say don't panic on the back? I can't remember. <laughs> no, but it should have. And also yeah. for that reference alone, you're now my favorite guest. I'll even accept the insult. You reference my favorite thing ever, so it's allowed. <laughs> Excellent. Um I, I do try to find little notes about direction and stuff, and I will say uh, the camera tracking through ops, even though it was a very brief scene, I really liked that it did that. Um and I, yes, even though it's kind of, I guess, silly and pseudo-racist, I do kind of like Cisco's nobody warned Earth that they're coming gag. It's a shame it's the only uh, line in the episode, but all right. <laughs> I did like how he, uh, how he basically told, uh, was it O'Brien, to go buy something? Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I did like, you know, give him some support. Just go and buy something. And he just did yeah. it with this cheesy grin. And I thought, I love Cisco. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I have to, let's see, a couple of things. First of all, this is really, really nerdy, but I, I get bugged by silly things like this, that Rom was specifically tasked with checking the ship because they didn't trust Gala, said everything was perfectly fine. Then it turns out it had been like trapped from the start and was a problem. And it's like, how bad are you at your job, Rom? <laughs> that was your one thing. <laughs> yeah, especially considering that Rom, over the course of the series, really is a genius engineer. It's yeah. like, how did I agree with you? How did you miss that? Yeah, exactly. Unless, of course, it's Rom and he was just like, well, it's only Quark and he's a jerk to me, so I don't really care. I'll just yeah. pretend I've looked through it. Maybe he thought he would inherit the bar in that case, or I don't know. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I have to say this because I just find it hilarious that Star Trek, when it does techno babble, sometimes is brilliant. And there's no better instance than in this episode with, ah, the chemocyte. If we vent plasma from the warp core into the cargo hold, we may be able to start a cascade reaction in the chemocyte. Then we can modulate the reaction to create an inverse <laughs> inversion wave in the warp field and force the ship back into normal space. If I time it just right, I should be able to get us close enough to Earth to make an emergency landing. DK, uh, you'll appreciate this. To that, I have to just say, in the words of Beckett Mariner, it's dangerous to have that many made-up words so close together. <laughs> Yes, I uh, I watched that episode after this one today, and I just thought, oh my god, she just nailed it. Yeah, exactly. 
I mean, but can you think as a performer having to sell mm -hmm. that? You know, having to yes. not just to learn it. I mean, because learning it is one thing, but having to learn it and then sell it to the audience and make it believable. And that is why you have so many great Shakespearean actors on Star Trek. I mean, because mm. you have to have this foundation oh, yeah. of of, yeah. of being able to communicate these things to an audience. And I think Max knocked it out of the park. Oh, definitely. And I think um, related to what you were saying earlier, I think Armin Shimmerman as Quark. Uh, whatever I might think of the species or even the character, I think his performance is always like he is that character. He's such a good actor. He just embodies yeah. it so perfectly. And I was like, you know, I'm always impressed with just seeing the acting job he does anyway. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think that was more or less what I had apart from kind of a little bit about the reception of the episode. Uh, and I don't want to keep you guys too long because it's quite late for us. So did you have anything else before I get into that about this episode? Uh, I just I didn't like the uh, the wharf comment at the start. I guess it's, yeah, I mentioned you know, that it's, kind of it's giving giving him kind of backstory a little just, but it just didn't ring true for me, especially after all he's been through on the Enterprise D and now on DS Nine. I did appreciate that at least O'Brien had the sense to say quite rightly not long ago, wharf somebody would have said the same thing about yeah. you. Yeah, so yeah. at least I did that. Um, I guess. Um, what about you, Vian? Anything spring to mind about the episode? Um, I just really love it when Cork's losing his mind. He's like, we're, we're helpless. We're harmless. We just want to sell you things. I just, <laughs> I just love that line. I love the delivery of it. Um, and it just tickles me every time. Absolutely. There is one more thing I need to talk about. Again, apologies if this takes too long. Actually, a couple of things. Uh, the first thing is, again, Stop writing your heroes as pervs. Nog getting Umox. I could have done without that scene. I'm sorry. Mm. <laughs> and tricking her into doing it. That's even creepier. Just no. <laughs> was anybody else bothered by that? No, I, I will agree with that. But also, I will say Star Trek in general, especially 90s Star Trek, has a history of some skeevy mm -hmm. uh, sexual things towards women that don't sit well with a lot of us. So that's a good example of that. Yeah. 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 I didn't like that. Uh, but yeah, most importantly, I have to start talking about Odo. Uh, it's understandable that I would forget that because let's be honest, he's barely in the episode for some reason. <laughs> but uh, as we both mentioned, DK, we both picked up on uh, quite fittingly a horror movie reference uh, from Odo where yeah. he is in the form of a dog, a German shepherd and Quark looks and says, they forgot that thing quite pointedly, and then the dog transforms into an alien. Like, yep, we get what you were going for there, guys. <laughs> Maybe it's just really too much because we've just watched the movie, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, love that. Um, what was I guess? But yeah, other than that, I just felt like Odo was completely perfunctory to the episode. I always appreciate having the character and the actor there, but it's like, what did he do in the end? I honestly, I, I couldn't remember that he was in this episode until he actually showed up as the dog. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, what about you, Vian? Yeah. How did you feel about Odo's place in the episode? Um, I think that all cops are bastards includes Odo. And uh, he's a yeah. fascist. And I really ne never forgave him for uh, basically dooming the entire Alpha Quadrant for a little founder nookie. So uh, <laughs> Odo can get fucked. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
I I don't I don't disagree. That's the thing. I hated that episode for similar reasons, and I was very much with Kira with the whole like we are way past sorry, and yeah. kind of never really forgave the show for just like everything's all right the next week yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, I get you. Oh, oh we had a talk in a closet, so everything's good now. No, no, you you need yeet that man into the sun. You know, but <laughs> kind of where I am with that character. So. Wow, I'm not. I'm never crossing you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, what, the very last thing I wanted to say is that I did like as well uh, when I was looking for kind of things that were supposed to be supportive of uh, humans and the things they'd learned. I liked that all the things that the Quark had learned about humans were from the people at DS9 that would have rewarded long-term viewers. So he was like root beer and darts and baseball. Baseball. And... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, ah, that was fair. clever. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, you wouldn't get it if you weren't a long-term viewer, but for sort of the nerds like us, we can go like, oh, yay. <laughs> so there we go. Um, awesome. So are you guys happy if I talk a tiny bit about the reception of the episode then? Of course. Yeah, sure. Right. Uh, I'm just going to dive into this. The episode is a favourite of Armin Shimmerman, who comments, it's a favourite of the fans and a favourite of mine. It was a major catalyst in the investigation of the family relationship. It's one of the first episodes where we see the Ferengi working together as a family, and that was the beginning of an avalanche of stories about that. It was a delight to work because the writers gave me wonderful, I can't put this any other way, Spock-like comments where I'm outside of humanity as a Ferengi and talking about how they act, having some point of view about what they do right, what they do wrong, and letting them know about it. There were more episodes where that happened, but Little Green Men was perhaps the most delightful. It also gave Quark a ship. It was the only time I got to captain a ship, even for a brief moment in time. But for a Star Trek actor, those little things can be very important. <laughs> That's nice. That's sweet. Mm. Whatever happened to Quark's treasure, by the way? <laughs> hmm. I guess they didn't. I guess they weren't able to salvage it after that. Oh, right. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, it's the only thing I can think of since it was never referenced again. Yeah, probably. Um, awesome. Uh, Rene Echevarria commented, Little Green Men and The Trouble with Tribbles are probably the two best Star Trek comedic episodes ever filmed. It was a delight. Well, he's half right. I'll give him that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mentioned this again to you before recording, DK, but I have to bring it up. Uh, in the book Star Trek 101 by Terry J. Erdman and Paula M. Block, they list Little Green Men as being one of the 10 essential episodes from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, as I mentioned oh, no, in our earlier no, episode. no, 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 no. No, yes. yeah. they are very wrong about that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's even more criminal because they didn't include the visitor, which we reviewed a few episodes ago. It's like Little Green Men's better than the visitor in what world? <laughs> you know? but, uh, I don't yeah. care for anyway. the visitor. Um, on a similar note, Cine Fantastique ranked this as the fifth best episode of Deep Space Nine, which again I don't quite get. I don't know if it would be in my top thirty, but fair enough. Um, on the popularity of the episode, Megan Gallagher commented, not to brag, but I've got a long resume. I've done six TV series as a regular and recurred on a lot of other shows. And I've got more fan mail about that individual episode than anything else I've done, including the entire run of Millennium. Actually, I'd say Little Green Men and Larry Sanders are on a par with each other. But I think people loved Little Green Men because it was funny and different and because of the mythology and mystery surrounding Roswell. When you mix Star Trek and Roswell, I think it triggers various parts of the sci-fi brain simultaneously. And the episode <laughs> was just beautifully done, the way they shot it, the Dutch angles, all of the period stuff, the sort of it came from outer space way it looked, which I, I'm glad that I read that because I did want to agree with that. Uh, it had all these great inside jokes. It combined so many different and fun things about being a Star Trek and sci-fi fan. Yeah, I would agree with all of that. So that's cool. Uh, any thoughts from either of you on those things? That 
Well, I mean, obviously she got the most fan mail just because it was a Star Trek episode. I mean, she could be in any episode of Star Trek and that's where she's going to get the most fan mail. Let's be real. Yeah, because Star Trek's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, that's fair enough. So did you guys have any thoughts before I move to the the audience response section, which is quite vast this week? (laughs) No, no. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Uh, right, I'll move us on then, and uh, again, in a geeky way, I have titled this episode in a Star Trek form, uh, so I will call this uh, Subspace Communications. Incoming transmission. Which is basically my nerdy way of saying we put a tweet out and asked people for their thoughts on this episode, and we have a lot of them, so again, apologies, I'll try to get to them quickly. Um, at Raven Apollo says, I love it for many reasons, but I think my favourite part was when Quark was astonished that the humans were smoking cigarettes. If they buy poison, they'll buy anything. And him talking about how primitive humans are and telling Nog to pity them. It's true. Okay. Uh, at Nick Cook says, I love the episode. It was pure fun and the cast were clearly having a blast. Uh, Bridget Brannan says, I love it. I think it's absolutely above average and really fun to watch. I've seen it a few times on rewatch too, and it still makes me laugh. Uh, Rachel Nessa says, love the episode, fun and hilarious. Quark, Rom, and Nog are all terrific here, and even Odo gets in on the act, one of my favourite DS9 episodes. Uh, By Riker's Beard says, I really hate winking and nod episodes as a general rule, which means I should hate this one, but I can't. It's so delightful and so much fun. Um, the Luke Deckard Show just says, oh, I loved it. It was a fun romp. Definitely one of my fav- favourite Ferengi-centric episodes. Uh, where are we? And Nicole Brutel says... Outrageously funny, Quark, Rom, and Nog were quite the dynamic trio. Also loved the fact that the Ferengi language was introduced. I wish there was a phrase book. Uh, the German Shepherd revealed to be Odo reminded me of my mum's dog, Roxy. Thanks for that, Nicole. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, well, let me just say, uh, at Act 4 SP says it's silly, but I love it. I can't say that for all silly episodes, though. Um... <laughs> at Chowzam says one of the most humorous of the Voyager episodes, which I'm assuming is a typo. <laughs> Hmm. But uh, they did oh put a picture God. of a great scene where the humans are all slapping their heads. So that's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, here we are. Um, at Kurt Robertson says, great. This is why DS9 is at the top of the Trek universe. Uh, a lot of people just saying good fun, memorable fun, top five of the series. Roe Birch says, it's fine, a bit predictable, has the potential to be something a lot bigger and more thought-provoking or be more of a pastiche of B-movie tropes. As it stands, it's a fun, quirky episode and ticks off a sci-fi trope. Uh, Byron Bailey says, loved it because it was a lot of fun. The comedy worked very well. Uh, someone called at lady underscore Vian just says, love it. Classic Star Trek shenanigans. I don't know who that was. Who is that chick? <laughs> um, at you drive poorly says, I love it. It's a fun little Ferengi show. Uh, Starfleet, at Starfleet Design says, I just watched this a few days ago. I liked it, but didn't love it. It's one of those highly contrived concepts that if treated seriously could have been very interesting, but as a light comedy episode ends up being pretty disposable. The Starship Down Little Green Men VHS was one of the relatively few I bought back in the day because I really loved both both episodes. If you'd asked the question before last week, I would probably have replied it was a fantastic episode, uh, but I'm not a child anymore. (laughs) I still like the episode. It's just that my eyes are more open to its superficial qualities. So, yeah, I think that's a pretty, yeah, pretty in-depth review there on the other side of things. But that's all of the ones that I do have. So uh, with that out of the way, I will move us quickly to our favorite character moment and line in the episode. Uh, Vian, as you're our guest, did you want to go first and give your favorite character? Oh, gosh, I think I gave it away already when I was talking about... um... 
Quark and on when he's freaking out. Um, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I guess. Oh gosh, I I love Quark, Rom, and Nog for such different reasons. Um, yeah, I think I think Quark's my favorite of the episode. Awesome, that's fair enough. Uh, what about you, DK? Uh, it's going to be Rom. Okay, cool. Uh, and I feel really basic saying this, but for me, it was Nurse Garland, which, again, I think it's obvious, but at least I appreciated the attempt at a kind of, uh, you know, Star Trek, uh, I guess, trope, ideology, whatever you want to call it. So, fair enough. Uh, what was your favorite moment in the line, in the episode, sorry, Vian? <laughs> Um, I, I, well, I did like it when, as I said, oh, we, we just want to sell you things. But um, <laughs> I like Quark's, when they first crash, kind of realizing, oh, my God, these people are idiots. We can rule here. <laughs> this is awesome. You know, kind of. Uh, I, I like that he sees an opportunity to exploit people for money. And he's like, I'm going for it. And I respect that. So, um, okay. yeah, I liked, I liked that. I do kind of like that Quark's hubris is his downfall with that as well, though. Like, he pushes mm. him too far and then finds himself dragged into an interrogation room and desperately pleading that he just wants to sell things. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, TK, what about you? Favourite moment? It's, I've, I've already said it. It's the uh, the scene where Quark's denying everything and, you know, Rom's just crying for Moogie. <laughs> Fair enough. And my favourite moment, uh, because I am, again, basic and very easy to please when it comes to humour, is the one that you have on your little avatar there, DK, and it's when they were slapping their heads to try to get the Universal Translator working, and then all the humans just started mimicking them. I yeah. never fail to laugh at that scene every time I watch the episode. <laughs> it's, just, it's so dumb, but I love it. <laughs> awesome. Uh, and what was your favourite line in the episode, Vian? Uh... Yeah, it's it's got to be the one I already said. The, we're we're helpless. We're harmless. We just want to sell you things. I just it's such a great line. Okay, cool, fair enough. DK, uh, it's not so much the line, but it's the delivery. It's the one where uh, it's between Quark and Odo, and Quark saying, "Harumph all you want, but these humans—they're nothing like the ones from the Federation. They're crude, gullible, and greedy." And Odo says, "You mean like you?" And Quark just goes, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, again, mine is just really basic humour. So my favourite line is when um, Quark is threatening to kill, I think it's Nurse Garland with his death ray. Uh, and then um, Denning just says, what, you mean your finger? And Quark's like, death ray? And he goes, looks a lot like a finger to me. <laughs> again, basic humour, but it gets me. <laughs> awesome. Uh, right, so just to finish things off then, um, we tend to do a conclusion and then a score out of five Starfleet Deltas. Uh, Vian, did you want to go first with any thoughts and then your score? Uh, well, just what I've said already. I, I don't go as deep into this episode as some of the others. Like, we're, they're really trying to bring home a, a point, um, mm. you know, because Star Trek's great at doing that. But sometimes you just want a fun episode, like, you know, take me out to the Suite. And I think, yeah. for me personally, this falls into this. This is just one of the more fun episodes it's a send-off to the b movies that you know we all kind of mash on and, and enjoy and i think in that sense it was a successful episode so i would give it three and a half four deltas okay uh which one would you come down on <laughs> oh gosh i guess i'll be generous and say four well okay awesome uh dk did you have your conclusion and score 
Yeah, I've got a fun little aside that takes a break from the usual type of DS9 story in favour of a humorous bottle episode. It puts a new spin on the Roswell incident. It's stereotype a go-go, but it does so in order to bring out the natural humour in the situation, and in that respect it works. There's some great character-building moments for our favourite Ferengi family, though unfortunately alongside these, the human characters do come off a little wooden. It's not an episode that sets the world on fire, has no real impact, despite some memorable and emotional early scenes. It's not in the same league as DS9's better examples of time travel, but it is a pleasant distraction and is fun to watch if you catch it on TV, and I've given it 3 out of 5. Awesome. Uh, and yeah, sorry if mine is a bit long-winded. I was just trying to get my thoughts together because I was struggling a bit. Uh, I just said it was a good idea to combine Star Trek and Roswell. Playing it as a comedy was logical but bold. In that respect, for me, it did pay off, just. The humour is a little bit hit and miss with about a 50 to 60% hit rate. This doesn't come close to all-time comedy favourites of mine like the Tribbles episodes. And there are even a handful of other Ferengi episodes that I find funnier, despite my general dislike of the species. They just seem like a one-joke bit of unsubtle satire that's really overplayed, as I said. Uh, this episode falls victim to some of that, but I also appreciate their use to provide contemporary social commentary, which is a Star Trek strength. I really liked the overt homages to old sci-fi B-movies and the like, but feel it could have been pushed a bit further. There's also an overtone of snark and cynicism that didn't feel very Trek to me. Uh, my favourite scenes are the ones that counterpoint this, like Jake and Nog reminiscing at Garland's nature, though I don't love it being played for parody, and Quark's hubris being his downfall. I enjoyed watching, but it felt like it was over too quick and pretty disposable. I did like some of the humour, the acting and direction were great, and there's some brilliant lines of dialogue, but this isn't going to make it into my all-time classics. Overall, it felt fairly generic and a little bit average. And I actually gave it 2.5, two and a half uh, deltas out of five. Uh, yeah, which means that overall, if we work out the average for the podcast, the final score comes to 3.3333 recurring. So we'll just call it 3.3 out of five. So not too bad. I think it's, it's still a serviceable episode. So yeah. <laughs> How are we feeling about that after that score then? <laughs> I think that's a fair score. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it's too bad. Yeah, definitely. Apologies if you felt like we were piling on an episode that you liked if, uh, if you're listening out there. But I don't think we had any major problems. It was just kind of not for all of us. But um, hopefully you felt somebody was speaking for you here. And again, thank you so much for joining us uh, again, Vian. Uh, cannot thank you enough. And uh, yeah, hopefully you've had a good time chatting. Yeah, it was really like. fun. Really fun. Thank you so much. No, again, thanks again for agreeing to do it. And uh, yeah, DK, any sort of final thoughts or sign-offs you wanted to give? No, just the uh, the usual Twitter, at AKA Starlord. You know, hit me up when you probably want to send me hate mail for what I've said about this episode. But yeah. <laughs> we, all, we all expect that a little bit by now. Uh, yeah, Vian, uh, what, did, did you want to share any kind of socials or projects you're working on or anything? Um. Uh, no, just my regular old, my regular old Twitter if you want to hear some... Uh, fun takes uh, <laughs> that you're going to hate about Star Trek uh, at <laughs> lady underscore V-A-N V-E-A-N and uh, I'm sure I'll, I'll tick you off at some point but uh, I think I'll entertain you too so yeah, I don't think you're so bad. I, I Even as a fan of things you hate, like Wolf, I think we still get on pretty well, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. No, I think we yeah. do. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. No, I've I really enjoyed chatting all things geeky, uh, scary, and then obviously this episode. So it's been fun. So, um, yeah, uh, hopefully you will join us for our next episode, which I believe, DK, uh, is going to be a review Sorry. of the... 
Time of Mock. The Prodigy episode, Time of Mock, that's right. So, yeah, uh, again, thanks again to Vianne for joining us. Find us all around the internet. You'll hear it in our outro and see it in our um, descriptions. And, yeah, uh, have, uh, have fun, be nice to each other. And in the meantime, remember, we are Starfleet. Live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. You have been listening to the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast, hosted by Michael Wilson and DK. Created, produced, and edited by Michael Wilson. Additional material produced by DK. Music by Timeless Journey. More information can be found at soundcloud.com forward slash timeless journey. The Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast is based on an idea by Michael Wilson and Will Templar. Follow the podcast on Twitter at HomeTrek, on Instagram at Home Star Trek Podcast, or look for the Hit or Miss Star Trek Podcast under Facebook groups. Links to all our social media accounts and more are in this episode's description. This podcast is available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for Silver Screen Hit or Miss Star Trek. This has been a Mike's Podcast production, copyright 2022. Thank you for listening.